Good morning, dear family. Let's talk to our Father. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in this beautiful building that you've given us to gather here, your church together, to thank you for the awesome God that you are, Lord. We look all around us at this beautiful creation that we are so privileged to live in, from the mountain to every blade of grass and beautiful tree that we see, evidence of your wonderful creation, from um, the beauty to the wildlife that we see um, everywhere we look, Lord. Thank you. If we forget to be thankful, forgive us, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for. We are so blessed here. Lord, we just um, recognize that you are such an awesome God, a righteous, loving, faithful God. Lord, forgive us when we take you for granted. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you want us to be with you and to share each and every day with you. Help us to remember to take time in each of our days, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week, to spend time with you in prayer and learning more about you by reading our Bibles. Thank you, Lord, for family. Thank you, Lord, for um, providing for us, for food on our tables, for shelter. Lord, thank you for so much in our life. We are so blessed when we look around the world and see what other people are going through. Lord, forgive us for the things that we do that hurt your heart. Forgive us for making idols out of things that have no place in our lives. You should be the person that we worship, not other things. Thank you, Lord, for this time together, and we pray for those who might be struggling this morning, who don't see how you are such a good God. Help them to hear something this morning, Lord, that would reignite that spark in them that sees that you are exactly what they need in their lives. Lord, help those who are grieving over the loss of a loved one or a relationship, Lord. Help them to feel that love again, Lord. Comfort them. Help them feel your loving arms around them. Lord, we pray for our families who might be on vacation and are traveling, Lord. We ask that you give them travel mercies and help them to make memories with their families that they can tuck away in their hearts and their minds for the future and um, that they would come home refreshed and um, uh, relaxed, Lord. <clears throat> and Lord, um, we just uh, ask that you would provide healing for those who are suffering from any kind of physical uh, challenge right now, Lord. We thank you and praise you so much for being the great physician and in the ultimate uh, healing of disease and uh, brokenness, Lord. Thank you for this time together, Lord, and we just ask for your blessing on this upcoming week. And um, ask that you would bless each and every person in this congregation and send us forth uh, with a desire to represent you 
to our community, to our family, you know, that we would go forth wanting to tell others how much we love you, be good representatives of you, beacons of light to our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I on? There we go. All right. We are now on week six of our study of the church. And we are actually, we were headed for eight weeks, but we're going to end next Sunday um, because we wanted to make room for um, Caleb Suko to preach on the 31st. He's here from Ukraine for a brief period of time, and he has granted us the privilege of hearing from him. So I'm going to try my best to consolidate what I'd already planned for three weeks into two, which is going to require that I do something that Paul does in the New Testament quite a bit, and that's I'm going to mix some metaphors. And this morning we're going to mix two of them, the body and the building of Christ. We've talked about the building, the body, and the bride of Christ, and we've talked about the birth. That's a lot of bees. I feel very happy with that. <laughs> but we will today mix two of those, and then the next week we'll talk about the bride. We're going to be spending a lot of time today in the book of Ephesians, in the second chapter to be specific. And I want you to understand something about Ephesians that is very important before I dive into it. And that is that the book of Ephesians was a letter to the Ephesian church. It was specifically written to the Ephesian church. But it was not just a letter to the Ephesian church. It was a letter that was meant to be circulated throughout the churches in Asia Minor. It was to speak to all of them. So the content is not just specific to the Ephesian church, but it is also specific to us, Eatonville Baptist Church, though we are far removed from Asia Minor. How do I know that this letter was written to us? Well, one of the primary ways I know is that nearly 10 years ago, the Lord took first the elder board and then you all that were here through the second chapter of Revelation. The elders had spent a lot of time studying. In fact, we spent a month and a half or so individually studying the churches in the Revelation that talked about the church in Ephesus and Sardis and Laodicea, etc. And we did that because we sensed something wasn't right with Eatonville Baptist. But we couldn't exactly put our finger on it. We didn't know for sure what that meant. And then after those weeks of studying individually, we had agreed to come together and we spent the day together sharing with each other, and each man got to share what he had learned through studying those churches. 
And truly, we felt as though, that's the wrong word. We knew, with no doubt, that the Lord had led us to do this because he showed us without question that the church at Ephesus was Eatonville Baptist Church. That when the book of Revelation speaks of the church of Ephesus as having lost its first love, we knew that that's what was wrong. In all our good doing, and we had lots of programs, in all of our hard working, and there were lots of us working, and with good hearts and good intent. And that's not what the church of Ephesus was chided for. In fact, the Lord said, I know your works. I know the sacrifices that you're making. But this I have against you, that you've left your first love. And it was from that point forward that we have stayed the course to always try to steer this body of believers into the love of Christ first and foremost. And that we express that love through love for one another. That's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's downright hard. But that's how I know that this book of Ephesians is for Eatonville Baptist. Everything in it was written for our edification that we might be reminded. And so this morning, I'm going to read a significant portion of that letter. For all Scripture, all Scripture is for our instruction. To instruct and teach us three primary things. It teaches us who we are in Christ. It teaches us how we got there. How did we become in Christ? And it teaches us what we are to do now that we are in Christ. Now I'm going to read this, but I'm going to read it a little differently and you're going to help. I'm going to ask, I'm going to read the second chapter and I'm going to ask that you do something with me. So find a Bible in front of you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read this letter as though it really was written to each of us individually. And the way we're going to do that, I'll illustrate for you. Okay? As you hear me read, you will hear me insert my name every time you see the word you. And I want you, out loud, to read your name every time you hear my name. So we're going to read this book very differently, and I know it may be uncomfortable, and uh, yeah, it's a bit odd, but so am I, so you're just going to have to bear with me. Read this word, inserting your name every time you hear my name. 
Okay? Are you ready? Figure it out? Well, let me give you an example just in case I still confuse you. Here's an example. This is the first verse. And you, Paul Morgan, were dead in trespasses and sins in which you, Paul, once walked. Okay? So that's how we'll proceed. Ephesians 2, 1 to 22. And you, Paul Morgan, I didn't hear anybody's name. That ain't going to work. Try it again. And you, Paul Morgan, that's better. I think you can do better, but I'll give you a few minutes to get a hang of this. And you, Paul Morgan, <laughs> were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, Paul, once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you, Paul, have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you, Paul, have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you, Paul, Gentile in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. Remember that you, Paul, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, Paul, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you, Paul, who were far off, and peace to those who were near. 
For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, Paul, are no longer a stranger and alien. But you, Paul, are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you, Paul, also are being built together into a dwelling place by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Let us never read these words again the same. But always remember that it is you who have accomplished the work for us. Let us always remember that it is your grace, your blood, your mercy, your faithfulness that has ransomed each of us. Not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of your own mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. And while we were yet your enemies, you died for us. You alone are God and the only one who could have accomplished all of this. May you be glorified this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You've often heard the warning, don't try this at home. I strongly encourage you to try what we've done at home. Try reading the word this way. Inserting your name instead of reading it as though it's all third person. Read it as first person. Because it was written for you. To you. To us, the church. Throughout all of the ages, it isn't some ancient text to be stored and studied. It is an ancient text with a current context. It is for us. It is for today. It is for you and it is for me. I do hope that this reading today has given you at least a glimpse of the benefit of reading God's word this way. And then I encourage you, anytime you are tempted, to think you have somehow earned something in Christ. Read this passage this way. And if any time you are tempted to think you are worthless and nothing, read this passage this way and see the surpassing worth that Christ has placed upon your life. He... God died for you. Could there be any greater value placed on anything than that the God of the universe, the creator of time and space, the one who imagined you before time began? No greater worth. Over these weeks, we've seen what the church looks like 
and what it's made of. We've done this largely from Christ's perspective. And I used my own metaphor of the, well, actually it's from Revelation too, but my own metaphor of climbing the mountain, of going to the great high mountain and looking down from Christ's perspective and seeing what the church looks like as a building, a body, and a bride. We've seen that the building metaphor helps us to see that it is made of ordinary stones. Nothing spectacular. Each stone laid, up, however, is unique and very, and I'm sorry, is laid upon a very unique and unordinary foundation. With its cornerstone being Christ and the foundation, the apostles and the prophets. And I tried to show you from the book of Isaiah that what's being referred to there is the justice of God and the righteousness of God. And we've seen that these ordinary stones that have been laid upon this very unordinary foundation with Christ as the cornerstone have been made alive. Living stones. It is this life that makes each of them unique from all the other stones. Before being made alive, the stones are ordinary and plain and look like everything else, flawed, marked, and textured, and all the rest. But when Christ remakes those stones and breathes life into those stones, they become living stones. And if you will recall Revelation 21, 22, what do those living stones look like then? Pure, clear jasper, like glass. You can see through them. There's no flaw. There's nothing in them anymore to keep the view of Christ from being seen. The light of the glory of Christ shines through these clear stones. Clear because he has made them that way. I want to remind you that only God makes stones. And only God can make stones live. It is nothing that we do that makes that happen. Christ alone accomplishes that work. Remember the triumphal entry? All the people are coming together and they're shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you have this great crowd. And then you have the Pharisees. And they come to Jesus and say, Tell them to shut up. They shouldn't be saying those things. And what does Christ say to them? If they are quieted, the very stones will shout. Do you see what he's trying to tell us? We are those stones, living stones, ready to shout. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. For our God has come. It is an amazing thing when we see 
how God remakes us as living stones. We've also seen a body, not just any body, but a beautiful body, a new creation. It's beautiful because of its diversity and its unity. And it's made not from dust like we were originally, not from the dust of the earth. It is made from spirit, flesh, and blood. It is recreated people now in the image of Christ joined together into a body for the glory of Christ. It is comprised of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, all represented. All equal, but with differing gifts and responsibilities. All needed for the proper functioning of the body. We looked at the passage in Corinthians and we looked at the argument Paul made that some of you say, well, I'm not really needed because I can't do X, Y, Z in the church. And then we had the other group saying, well, I don't need you because I can do X, Y, Z. And Paul points out that that's the wrong comparison. It's a faulty comparison. The truth of the matter is, is that we are all needed. Not one of us can do what the other was designed by God to do in the body of Christ. Each of us is needed. Quit acting like you're not. Start living like you believe that to be true. We are all needed. Desperately needed. So we've seen what the church looks like and what it's made of as building and body. Now, we want to look at what it does. Now, we're going to need corrective lenses for this one. Before we needed the field glasses. Remember my little illustration. We needed the field glasses, the twin lenses, the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Well, now we need corrective lenses because we're down on the ground and we're taking a close look. And those corrective lenses are the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Surprise! They're no different. It's the same exact pair of lenses. Except these lenses are formed so that we see closely instead of from far away. These are practical lenses. I got got new glasses. You like them, right? They're really good looking. Mary said so. Anyway, uh, for the first time I have all three, um, whatever you call them, in the one pair of glasses. Thank you. I can see you really good. For the first time, I don't have to look at you this way anymore. <laughs> These corrective lenses do two things. They, they help my nearsightedness, my farsightedness, but they also help my astigmatism. Everything's a little blurred. No matter how I look, everything comes out a bit skewed. And so God's Spirit and His Word act as corrective lenses for us, correcting whatever's wrong with our vision, helping us to see clearly, and that's what we're going to rely on. 
Today we're going to specifically look at the building in the body, and next week we're going to conclude with the bride of Christ. I hope, I pray, that you show up next week. There is truth that I think we largely miss as the community of Christ that we will look at next week. Not new revelation, don't get me wrong, Paul's not a prophet, and he's not bringing some strange doctrine. But I do hope, through the Spirit of God, to bring clarity to some of the things we need as the bride of Christ. I hope that happens today, too. As Mary will profess, I have struggled more with this message than I have with any other message I think I've ever preached except the first time I ever preached. And that wasn't really preaching. That was just a mess. And I've written this, well, I know I have written it fully at least four separate times and not one of them looks the same. <laughs> They're all different. And, and I got up very early this morning and I just said, God, I... You know my heart and the depth of responsibility I feel when I stand up here. That you hear not from me, but that you hear from Christ. I haven't got a thing in the world to say to you that's worth listening to. God has the word for us to listen to. And that's what I wanted to show you. And, and I couldn't get it together. And so I got up early and I just started praying, God, your people are coming. You, you, you got to do something for them. And so this is completely different. Um, I know Dan has shared with me that the Lord's done that to him at times. <clears throat> you start on one course and then the Lord changes course on you at the right or at the last minute. So if nothing else, I know that this word is from the Lord. Ephesians 2, 21 to 22 in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what does the church do? It grows. Now, this is one of Paul's mixed metaphors. He's talking about a building. And he's talking about it being built. And then he switches metaphors to this idea of growth. Growth is what a plant does. It's, it's organic. A building is remodeled, it's expanded, it's added to. But it doesn't grow. Be nice, be easy to get the work done. You know, pour a little water on it. It's not the way it works. So Paul's actually mixing a metaphor here because it is so important that we understand that there is a role for us and there is a work that God does. Growing is our work. The joining and building together is the Lord's work. 
He's the one that makes stones live. He's the one that takes all the people and puts them together into a new creation, a body of Christ. He is the head of that body. He has accomplished all of that work. But there is work for us to do. And that work is to grow. And we're going to look at some scripture verses that tell us specifically what that growth looks like and ought to be. So the question is, if we are to grow, how do we grow? Well, first we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we do to grow. We grow in grace and we grow in knowledge. But then we also grow in love and in strength and in good works. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from who the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church grows by providing spiritual training and exercise to the people of God. It builds itself up in love when each part is working properly. The question then to ask is, what happens when each part is not working properly? The answer is, the church does not grow. Now, I'm not talking numerical growth. There is nothing further from anything I have to say this morning than that. That is a modern construct. It is not an ancient one. And it finds very little place in the Bible. We see examples of wild numeric growth. But that is not the growth Paul is talking about, or Peter, or John, or any of the other New Testament writers. The growth that is talked about and referred to is the spiritual growth of the body in love and in strength and in good works. Hebrews 13, 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Strengthened by grace. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. <clears throat> All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So we grow as individuals and we grow as a church by grace, in faith, through the knowledge of Christ, in love of Christ, and good works for Christ's glory. And we do all of this through the Spirit of God who is in us working and we do this through the word of God, which is before us and leads the way. There is no other way to grow. There is no other way to grow. There is no other way to grow. We must grow in grace and we must grow in knowledge of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must grow in love for one another and for others. But Scripture also tells us there's one way in which we must not grow. And no, it's not wider. Scripture tells us there's one way we should not grow. It is Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's a conditional. If we do not give up. We will reap. What a promise. Sometimes in this world today particularly, I, I know how easy it is to get weary. I get weary. And sometimes I'm weary not in good works, but I'm just weary to be weary. None of it profitable for me or for anyone else, that weariness. So easy to get weary. You know what you have to do to get weary? Look around you. Look at the world. Listen to the news. Go to the internet. Listen to the myriads of pundits who act like they know what they're talking about and in reality haven't got a clue. Listen to the news services who give you one side of a story that has already been skewed before it's spoken to. Listen to the voices around you at work and in the grocery stores and on the street. Look at the actions of people on the road. Is it just me or have people gone absolutely insane? I have seen more 
horrific accident just in the last week than I thought, think I've seen all year or all next, last five years. People are nuts. And they're getting nuttier. Or maybe their nuttiness is just being revealed. I don't know. Because if you don't have Christ, you're already insane. Honestly, to be in sin is to be insane. The only thing that brings sanity to mankind is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for each of us. There is no sanity apart. But I want to give you the remedy for this weariness. There are three parts to it. The remedy for weariness is first, instead of looking out, look up. Focus on he who has already conquered. It isn't a victory yet to be had. It is a victory sure and certain written in heaven in the plan of a sovereign God. He has established that he is victor. Doubt me? Read Revelation. Who comes out on top and far higher than top? So turn your eyes and your ears off of what's happening around you and listen to the word of Christ and look to him. Look to him. Let me ask you, what true benefit, what true benefit have you gained by listening to all the garbage our world pours out? Has it not discouraged your soul? Has it not made you forget or tempted you to forget that God is victor? Turn it off and turn Him on in your ears and in your eyes. And then the second part of the remedy to not growing weary is hope. Now hope does not disappoint us except when hope is in anything other than Christ. If your hope is in your 401k, you're learning some valuable lessons recently. If your hope is in possessions or positions, I hope you're learning some valuable lessons. That those things perish I learned a valuable lesson when the bank took my job away and said, oh, we don't need you anymore. Who cares about the 40 years? I'm so grateful they did that. I really, I, I can't express to you how grateful I am that they did that. It was, it was an amazing blessing that the Lord gave me. And I shall always be thankful for it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. And righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean 
on Jesus' name. Our hope is built on Christ. And that hope never disappoints. And with that hope, you can keep going even when you don't feel well, even when you disdain of life itself, even when others have rejected you, even when the suffering becomes such a great suffering that your feet and legs are about to collapse under the weight of it, you keep going because you have hope in Christ who has overcome it all. And I count, Paul says, our present suffering as nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And some of us are suffering. But our hope is built on Christ alone. And then the third remedy for this growing weary is anticipation. But anticipation of what? In anticipation of Christ's return. The last time I spoke to you, I spoke to you about the bride of Christ, which is the betrothed of Christ right now. And how that the primary duty of a betrothed is to prepare herself for the groom. And that in preparing for the groom, she does one other vital thing, and that's wait. Not hopeless. She waits with eager anticipation, expecting the arrival of the groom at any moment, because she never knows what moment it might be. So her lamps are trimmed, her, her lamps are full of oil. The weaving she needs to do is done every day in the expectation that he might arrive and she needs to have plenty of white linen for herself and for the armies of God to wear. Anticipation, people, helps us not to grow weary. Look to Christ. Hope in Christ. Anticipate Christ. And the weariness finds the back door. The anxiety leaves when you remember Christ. It is Christ and Christ alone. We need reminders multiple times every day. Multiple times. I find that one reading in the morning of the Word is insufficient to carry me through. I need to be reminded by God's Spirit of His Word constantly. One of the things He's teaching me to do is when that anxiety begins to come, I say, liar! Christ is my hope! What do I have to worry about? What do I have to be anxious about? Oh, I could give you a list from a human standpoint. But from the perspective that I ought to have, that I want to have, anxiety has no place. 
Anxiety is an attack of the enemy, just like fear is an attack of the enemy. These are, these are not things that I dreamed up. Go study it for yourself. Just take your Strong's Concordance. If you don't have one, borrow one from the church. Just take your Strong's Concordance and look up the word fear as it relates to anything other than the Lord. You will quickly see that fear is not of God. Not that kind of fear. Now, the holy respect and honor of God, that kind of fear, absolutely. We should bow before the Father daily. Not in terror, but in joyful submission. That's the kind of fear that we talk about there. But the kind of fear that we feel most often today in our culture is terror. Founded upon the lies of the enemy. And the basic lie is, he, the enemy, will win. Baloney. We can't know the future except from here. And we see and hear when we read that Christ is victor and will be victor and is victor. It isn't a future hope that he's victor. It's a future certainty. And it is a present reality. May we, by God's good grace, have the stamina to stay the course. May Christ grant us that stamina. And may we be diligent, diligent workers together for the cause of Christ and the glory of Christ in this place in that he has put us in this cultural setting, in this time frame, faithful to Christ, that we might be diligent about growing into a holy temple and a dwelling place for our God. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for your word. I am even more grateful for Christ and your and for your spirit within. All granted because you are a giving God, full of grace and truth and mercy and faithfulness and righteousness. All of your promises are true. Help me, help us to stay the course. But let us grow in that course, Lord God. Let us grow. Teach us to grow in grace, in love, in strength, in good works. Teach us, Father, to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Help us, Lord God, to look to you, to hope in you, and to anticipate your coming. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Let's stand and close with a very appropriate song, Grace Alone.